You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, as a podcast, we need to become much more ruthless podcasts. We need, really need to grow up and start to perform in these type of shows. I think we could become more ruthless if we watch more Melbourne games of footy. <laughs> I, I think that would help because I, I've said this over the last few weeks. I think we've actually been pretty pretty realistic of where Melbourne's at. But again, you know, in the space of a week, the Demons have lost to Sydney and they've lost to Fremantle. And last night was inexcusable. I, I thought they were bad against Sydney for sure. But last night against Frio, given the situation, given where they are, given the fact that, again, similar to last week's game, they would have been in the eight if they win. They blew it. And they didn't just blow it in, in a game where they were unlucky or Fremantle were really good. I mean, Fremantle, I, again, I can't praise them enough for how competitive they've been all season long. But Melbourne just didn't look like a team that gave us stuff, to be honest, and, and I, I can't figure it out. I I don't get it. Like I know they've you've highlighted their travels, but they've been in Cairns now for the last two games. So hey, a lot better being up in that sort of weather than oh, actually it's been all right down in Melbourne here the last couple of days. But the, the travels been an issue for them. But these are two games, and they had a, a real, real tasty run home to get themselves into the finals. And you feel like they probably cost themselves now, and they won't make the eight. I did the ladder predictor yesterday. Um, and I, that did, they didn't make it into the eight there. Uh, and they've had this perfect opportunity given up to them. And to be outdisposed by almost 100 disposals in a game is staggering. Well, uh, this is the number that stands out to me straight away. And if you're watching the game, and uh, this is the other crazy thing about this, uh, for large portions of this game, they were playing in driving rain. And the ground is, I mean, the ground is like a bowling green. It's an unbelievable condition up there. But... It was torrential rain, particularly through the first half. And Fremantle at halftime were plus 39 in disposals. The disposal efficiency was 70% to 50%. And the, the reason that Fremantle's disposal efficiency was so good, now one, yes, you have to give them a little bit of credit for execution, but there was just zero pressure from Melbourne. And by the end of the game, and I, I, I noted those numbers down because I thought that, well, Melbourne are going to have a crack here. They're still in it. They're only down by a goal. They'll be okay. They'll end up winning this game. By the end of it, as you sort of said, Fremantle plus 86 in disposals, plus 108 in uncontested possessions, and Fremantle still led the tackle count by 20. It doesn't even make sense. I don't even understand how those numbers are accurate. And uh, Melbourne doubled Fremantle's hit-out numbers as well and and <laughs> won the clearances. I don't, know how, I don't know how it's possible. Uh, I just, I mean, those tackle numbers in particular, and we know that, you know, the way that they record tackles is, um, you know, sometimes can be a little, yeah, exactly. It can be a little bit difficult to read. But uh, for Fremantle to dominate the footy as much as they did and, and Melbourne just bring absolutely zero pressure, this is a team that just gives you the impression that they don't care. And I was looking this up because I, I remember you mentioned about Leon Cameron and the contract extension that he got. And, uh, I mean, I'm never going to be someone that's going to say someone should lose their job. I don't know. I mean, I just don't feel all that comfortable about, about saying that. But... I said I was kind of surprised at the timing of the extension for Leon Cameron. Melbourne extended 
Simon Goodwin prior to the 2019 season for three years. So he's signed through the 2022 season or until the 2022 season. Since that contract extension, and this was on the back of obviously a pretty damn good 2018, Melbourne are 12 and 25 since that, since he signed that deal. And I don't know. I, I keep looking at the Melbourne team, and this was a, a question I threw out on Twitter after the game. I said, if you look at the two games that Melbourne have lost in the last week to Sydney and Fremantle, so this is not something that you could have possibly even considered at the start of the season that this could be the case. But if you had the choice out of the three lists moving forward, I'm honestly, by, by watching them play this year, by watching the styles of footy that they're playing, with confidence that you think that this is going to, there will be a competitive team next year, I'm not sure if Melbourne would be, wouldn't be the last one you'd take. No, that's a that's a spicy one. Um, but I, I don't know if it's inaccurate. Now we do love our, our our bloke Luke Jackson, who isn't playing, and there's a fair bit of upside in in what he can do. But you're right, there's just a lot of names there. We just go like, eh. like if Petrarca stepped it up. Oliver and Viney are thereabouts. We know how good Max Gorn is. We know Salem's a positive player, but there's in terms of future excitement for the next three years. I don't. I don't think you're that wrong. Yeah. I and again, and this is why it's it's probably so frustrating with Melbourne because the top end is very very good, as you sort of pointed to. And even last night, you look at some of the players that were pretty good. Bailey Fritch was pretty good. I think he's definitely going to be a guy that's going to be a key player for them. Petrarca, as you mentioned, is. I mean, he's, he's up there in the Brownlow discussion this year. Whether or not he wins it, they probably haven't won enough games. But Clayton Oliver, we know, is a good player. Jack Viney, Max Gorn, we know, even though he's getting a little bit older, which is which is the unfortunate thing for Melbourne. You've had this guy and you've you know, wasted a significant portion of the window there. But, yeah, there's just a, a lot of guys outside of that. And they're, they're, just, they're just there. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I was a Melbourne fan that uh, I would be feeling too excited about this team moving forward. And... I reckon they came into this year thinking, well, last year, maybe the attitude wasn't there, but the talent's still there. We'll be able to fix things up and we'll be fine moving forward. But after this year, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know where Melbourne's at. And I look across the other end and Fremantle and we've got to talk about them because, again, I, I think if you have a young team, as this team clearly is, there's a couple of veterans there. We know David Mundy clearly has been playing some unbelievable footy, but you, you have to get your defense right and your defensive structure right before you move into an attacking style of footy i reckon i think that's always the best way to go and at times watching Fremantle, it's not all that entertaining like the games are kind of dour you know what Fremantle's going to try and do they've done it all season long and they've done it successfully stopping other teams from scoring and and again obviously last night to hold melbourne to just four goals for the game uh, albeit it was in wet conditions, but they've got the defensive stuff figured out. And I think now at times you're starting to see their attacking flair coming out as well. And that's why I, I think they're really exciting. And again, you look at the guys that contributed last night, Chera, 30 disposals, Blake Akers was really good. Uh, Caleb Sarong, we know about. Uh, they, they just, they're really dangerous. They're just a dangerous team because this is the problem with teams that are on the lower end. Typically, you can blow them away in a stretch of footy. Fremantle don't allow you to do that, yeah. and that's what makes them so tough. It is, and that's yeah, makes me a little bit worried about the Bulldogs having to play them in the last round, which uh, <laughs> they'll need to win yeah, to, to yeah. get into the finals because they are really, really feisty. But, Kane, just not on this game. There is some breaking news that has just happened. Connor McKenna has retired immediately 
and he's hmm. uh, going straight home to Ireland. So his uh, career is over at the age of 24, and he is heading straight home to Ireland. So I just thought I'd bring that up because that has just come through. Yeah, there was, I mean, obviously going back to when he did or didn't test positive to COVID, I don't think anyone actually still knows the answer, whether he he did or is a false positive or is a false negative. I don't know. But at the time, the reason for that, I, I think he was homesick. He wanted to get back to Ireland. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think this AFL season, if you're feeling that way, it probably wouldn't be a fun place to be in the hubs, um, not being able to live life. I, I know that, you know, part of the reason for that, that, test all that breach was because he wanted to you know spend some time with his his host family that he had when he moved here to australia so it's it's you know it sucks because I've, I've mentioned a couple of times that i think he's a really entertaining player and might be a little bit frustrating for Essendon fans at time but he does bring that little bit of x factor along with adam Saad back there so th- th- this is a blow for the bombers there's no doubt about that but i can't say that you telling me that i'm i'm absolutely shocked that he's done that it's a surprise to see it like you go, oh yeah well that's that's a surprise but when you hear oh it's Connor mckenna we sort of expected that when the, the yeah. covid stuff was going down i'm not sure how long this guy is going to last he obviously wants to go home and now he has made that decision so good luck to him kane let's move on to the the next thing that we want to talk about today and that is talking about mvps and the various awards that are around the AFL and I guess the meaning of these awards. And you've put a question in here, which, you know, if you weren't a Geelong Nuffy, I'd, I'd probably, you know, treat it with a little <laughs> bit more respect. He said, is, uh, is Tom Hawkins the MVP? So, uh, first of all, just for clarity, I'll, I'll explain why I said this. This isn't um, this isn't entirely my idea. And I know that people are going to be very skeptical about <laughs> me saying that. And they're not going to believe me at all. But I tweeted this after the game. The catch game, and I said there's nothing to talk about that game outside of maybe Tom Hawkins, and I think that's accurate. But at the end of that game against Essendon, Hawkins now 39 goals, first in the league, score involvements 110, first in the league, goal assists 19, tied for first in the league with uh, Paddy Dangerfield, marks inside 50, 47, first in the league. And uh, there was a lot of interaction with the tweet, and a lot of people, and not just Geelong fans, were, were using the words MVP, and it made me think about it from an AFL perspective, because we have basically three major awards. We have, obviously, the Brownlow. Uh, then we have the, the Players MVP, the Lee Matthews Trophy, and then we have the Coaches Award. And, and you know, before we get into it, I, I do you put any emphasis on one over the other when it comes to those three awards? Look, they've all obviously got their flaws. I, to me, I probably put the le- least emphasis on the Brownlow because it's hard enough to be an umpire. Right to be out there making those decisions and making plenty of wrong ones, but also being in the thick of things. But how, how are you seeing it from that close to know actually what's going on in the game? Like I, I, I just, I put the least emphasis on that. Now, the coaches' votes, there are often some curly ones that are thrown up when we see those votes come out. And obviously there are biases from those coaches in terms of who they're giving votes to in that game. Um, but I think there's a, a, a decent value in the coaches' votes because, especially when they're talking about the, what their own players are doing, that it, it had, you know, what was this guy's role? Did he execute that role? He may have only had 15 touches, but he was so effective in what he did. And adding that stuff in, I think, is is relatively effective. Players' voting is it, it can be a little shifty. Not shifty in like they're doing things deliberately to mislead, but players often have some differing opinions. It happens a lot more in other sports than I think in the AFL. And generally, the Players Award has been, you know, I think, relatively on point. But 
I don't know which one. It's probably one of those two. I maybe lean the coaches' votes a little bit higher. Well, I think the thing with the coaches' votes, and this is why, again, it's still really interesting to look where we're at this year because it, these awards, all of these awards, as we all know, and, and people try and say, well, the Brownlow is just a midfielder's award, but but ultimately they've all become midfielder's awards. Yep. And when I look at the, the coaches, the history of the coaches' award, uh, you had Max Gorn in 2018. Now, obviously, that's one out of the box, but outside of that, it's basically been all midfielders, unless you go all the way back to 2004, Warren Treadway. With the players' MVP, it's been all midfielders' since all the way back in 2004 with Nick Rewald. Then before that, there were some key position players. Wayne Carey got it a couple of times, Corey McKernan as well, Gary Ablett Sr. So a little bit different there, but really since 2004, it's been all midfielders. And then the brown line, we know. We don't really need a recap there. I think it's 92, Scott Wind, the last time someone won it that wasn't a midfielder. So I think it's interesting to look at the coaches' award if we, again, make this conversation. And it's worth talking about the players who we think are – the, the most important to their team. So there's two th- there's two different discussions here. So MVP, you can talk about the player that's most valuable to a team. And, you know, yesterday we spoke about Harris Andrews with Brisbane. I think that's the case. We've clearly spoken about Charlie Dixon with Port Adelaide at times as well. And if you look at the coaches' votes so far this year, you could say that Dixon is the one player Port Adelaide absolutely cannot afford to lose to contend. But Travis Boak is a second in the coaches' votes even and probably... Um, going to be right up there in the Brownlow. And then you look at the Cats, and again, you would say that Tom Hawkins, not, not just his value to the team, but his numbers across the season, he should be at the top of, of these awards because the not only the impact he's having in the game, the stats stack up as well, combined with the value that he has to Geelong. I think that he's by far their most valuable player. But even in the coaches' awards, which we can see right now, Cam Guthrie, is leading the Geelong charge with the votes there, and Patrick Dangerfield is there, and uh, as well, and Tom Hawkins is is well down the list, well down the list, and and it's kind of hard to believe when you think about it, how many games he's dominated. So, I, I people were suggesting that he might win the MVP. My my feeling is that he won't. Yeah, I don't think he will. <laughs> I, I don't think he will, and and he'll he'll probably be one of the three players that's nominated. But again, it just goes to show you that. It's virtually impossible to win any of these awards if you're not a midfielder because I, you know, we've we've seen dominant seasons from forwards before, but what Hawkins is doing, if he can't get close to any of these awards with the season he's having, then I mean, it's it's just not going to happen. I think some of it also should be taken into consideration in terms of replaceability. It, you know, you sure. could lose a midfielder. You, Essendon loses Zach Merritt, but there's probably four guys that can move in and provide 90% of at least the accumulation output. Not necessarily. Like, you know, the Bulldogs could lose McRae and Bonson Pally, and someone else goes in there, but they won't get that same level or be as impactful. But who, you know, if Tom Hawkins is out, who does that? Like, who, Harris Andrews is out. Who replaces them? Because that means that your second defender or second forward has to shift up a role, get more attention on them. And that that's not able to replace it to the same level because as we've talked about so much, you know, Hawkins is not only kicking goals, but he's a presence and he's setting everyone else up and he is just absolutely orchestrating everything that's going on down there. Same as what what Andrews does, and I think that that you know, the, the midfielders aren't replaceable. That's not like you know we saw when Pendlebury went down for Collingwood. It was like shit. Well, who's doing what he does? And there was no one who was filling that role because that's again a level of repl- repl- try again replaceability, but. Trelaw goes down and Adams just steps up and does it and does the same thing to a similar level. And they're both there and they both do it together. So there is a 
you know, I think that when we look at these things, I think looking at you know, production and importance is key, but also who else could do that if they were given that opportunity, I think is an important thing to look at. Whereas I could maybe look at, at Travis Boak, who's sitting third on this list and go, well, I think someone else could do it to a, a decent degree of what he does, but I'm not sure that, you know, I could say the same for Pendlebury or Bontempelli or Nat Nui or, uh, or Hawkins or, or or Harris Andrews, for example, or Dixon. I'm not sure that they can, even Dusty as a midfielder who's got that level of irreplaceability. So if you had, so let me throw a couple at you then. If you had the choice and you had to, Wipe one of these players out for the season. That's a, that sounds a little bit aggressive, but you, you get the point I'm trying to make here. With Port Adelaide, if you had to lose Travis Boak or Charlie Dixon for the year, who are you? Who are you losing? I think it's I think it's Boak. Right. So do I. What about uh, Lockie Neal or Harris Andrews? Now, obviously, Andrews may be out. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one because Neal has a level of irreplaceability as well because he is just so prolific and nobody can keep up really with that level on that team. But I still think it probably is him, and you just you know. Throw, you know, let's try Rayner in there. Let's get a little bit more inside time for McCluggage and guys who can replace it. Whereas when Andrews goes down, you go, okay, well, is Ryan Lester going to be able to produce 70% of what Harris Andrews does? Probably not. And Dangerfield or Hawkins? Yeah, look, given the Cats' midfield strength, <laughs> I think it's I think it's Dangerfield. Yeah. 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 Selwood, yeah. Guthrie, Menegola. Like you throw Parfit steps in there, throw Ablett in the midfield for a little bit if he ever plays. Like there's a, a bunch of other names, but Hawkins goes down, then what is it? Reece Stanley plays permanent full forward? Yeah, and that's that's the conversation. That's why I just when when people were commenting that I never really thought about it. I mean, obviously we've discussed the importance of of Hawkins to Geelong, but I, I think you know with the contenders, that's the one thing that almost stands out with with all the top five teams. They just have those guys that in key positions that uh, now this is the challenge that Brisbane are going to face. Uh, you, you need things to go right to win a flag, and certainly health is one of the main things. And I guess you know for Richmond, it's it probably again, goes to show how impressive it was last year that they got the job done without a player like Rance. We're going to see really how important Andrews is on Wednesday, tomorrow, when Brisbane takes on Gold Coast. It's not The Gold Coast aren't completely threatening at the moment, but Brisbane haven't been dominating. They struggled past North Melbourne, barely got over Collingwood. And you know, if they, again, show those struggles here against a team that's sitting 14th, then you have to worry about where that uh, where that lands them. But yeah, that that discussion of... Um, you know, MVP and what the meaning of MVP is. It's always open for interpretation. Is it the best player? Is it the player that's the most irreplaceable? Is it the guy that provides the most individual value to that team? It's really hard to to understand that. Now, okay, you asked me. So who do you think is the best arbiter of the decision of those awards? Is it media? Is it coaches? Is it players? Is it umpires? Like who is, where's the best the best level of that? Because I think you can find uh, you know, downsides to any of that group doing it but which which is the the group that you would trust the most to get that the most right uh, I'm not sure it's it's tough it's a difficult question I yeah look it is I I think that there is an element of you know, looking looking at teams evaluating their own players like you mentioned in the notes here like club best and fairest now they're hard to judge because the different voting systems are different across all, all teams and sometimes yeah. it rewards you know games played and volume of games but there's something to be said about knowing what your team is is required of that player like did he fulfill his role and did he do what we needed him to do at that level whereas you, know, you might look at the Bulldogs against West Coast the other night and say, well, Toby McLean did already had 20 touches and nine tackles. Oh, that's pretty good. Like, But 
they sent him out there to shut down Andrew Gaff, and he did. So would Luke Beveridge have him as the, the best player on the ground, doing what he needed to do to enable that win to occur? Whereas people, yeah, perhaps voting in the media or other players might say, well, no, look, the, the most touches were, it was Jack McRae, so he is the best on ground. You know what I mean? Like there's that level of sometimes inside information that's not always known now. I don't know how you pass that out and enable it to be fair across the league because then teams are just going to be you know, pumping up their own blokes quite a bit. But I think there is something to having that and understanding of what the role is of a player that's not always made clear. Well, I think the interesting thing about club best and fairest, if you go through the league, and again, particularly with the top teams, because this is where it really stands out. If you look at the top 10 for best and fairest, um, you know, generally with the top four teams, there's always one or two players in there that you're always. really shocked by and you say, that's kind of strange. I, I, I don't know if I would have had him in the top 10. But as you sort of pointed to, it gives you a great indication of what they're doing right as far as what they're expected to do, what their role is uh, within the team. And and I, I think that's that's what makes Best and Fairest unique. And I, I think, you know, within a club, perhaps that, that's the most important award to win because it means that as, as a player, that your coaches are, are loving what you're doing. And you spoke about the voting. I mean, some of these teams now, rather than, you know, votes for five players or whatever, like... Some of these teams, you'll see someone win the best and fairest with 800 votes because they'll literally <laughs> go through and and give every player that plays a rating out of 10. Yep. And and, and that's that's their votes for the game. It's it's crazy. It's there's some crazy systems out there. But yeah, best and fairest. That's something to watch just if you want to get an indication for someone that's clearly playing their role. Someone that doesn't stand out. Someone that's never really in the in the best best plays in terms of impact, but. Uh, polls well in the, in the club best and fairest. A great example of that is the Bulldogs 2016 premiership year. Dale Morris came second in the best and fairest and he has mm. one one career Brownlow vote. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's the big year. This is a team that, that won the premiership and he was voted as the second best player over, you know, behind Marcus Bontepelli ahead of ahead of you know, McRae and Hunter and a whole bunch of other guys who were getting touches and kicking goals and doing whatever, but he was voted second and got zero votes in the Brownlow. And that to me is a massive disconnect. And I don't know how to fix it exactly, but we're talking about this, I think, for probably a little bit too long here, Kane. Let's move on to the next bit, and that is talking about the games, because we've got a doubleheader, the old the old traditional Tuesday doubleheader tonight. Adelaide, yeah, I love it. Adelaide, maybe maybe, Giants. maybe not the best doubleheader. No, it's not not the best, but there is at least uh, one game here that's a, a must-win, and that is GWS. They, they need to beat Adelaide. They should beat Adelaide. But they need to because the pressure is coming on them from behind. They currently sit equal with the Bulldogs with one game in hand, but they lose this one. And uh, then their position in the eight becomes a little bit more tenuous. It does. And I think that this is really a game. I mean, we've spoke about the system for the Giants all season long. We know that particularly moving forward, they've had their struggles. And when we were just talking about players that the teams will say they're playing their role. Jeremy Cameron's been one of those guys, but he hasn't kicked a bag of goals. For mine, you're playing Adelaide now. Uh, we know that they came off a win. They might be feeling a little bit confident, but let's be honest. You're GWS. You're in the grand final last year. You've got to beat them. You've, you, you've got to beat them, and you've got to beat them easily. I want the Giants to win this game by 50 points because uh, not only will that solidify their spot in the eight, it will give them a bit of confidence through the forward line moving forward as well, particularly someone like Jeremy Cameron. I, I really, that's that's who I'm looking for here in this game. I'm looking for him uh, to kick a bag of goals because it's it's been quite a while. Yeah, it is. They, they need to just put the foot down, make this an, an easy one. They don't want to be struggling around and yeah, yeah. winning by 12 points after you know, just pulling away in the fourth quarter. They they With the compressed games, they just need to pull this away and they need to get this victory because, if, if they again, if they don't, then the Bulldogs are right on their tail. And one of St. Kilda, Collingwood, GWS, 
and the Bulldogs is going to miss out on the finals. I'll put a line through Essendon, and I'm pretty close to putting one through Melbourne at this point. But one of those four teams is going to miss the final. So any slip-up from any of those four teams here is catastrophic. Carlton and Sydney is the other game. Uh, Sydney, obviously, coming off a win against Melbourne. We spoke about the Ds earlier in this podcast. So Sydney, again, have been pretty competitive. Um, there's no doubt about that. So... Uh, in fact, you know, the Swans are 2-2 two and two over their last four. So they're picking up a few wins late in the season. Carlton, we know. We spoke about them. I mean, particularly in the fourth quarters, you think about their last two games against Collingwood and GWS, they've been in a position to win. If they had a one those, they'd probably be sitting in the eight or certainly just outside on percentage right now. So <laughs> it's, it's a long way back for the Blues. But all they can do is win the last two games and, and hope for some sort of miracle. They probably need a bunch of percentage as well in these games. But, you know, for Carlton, four quarters. Honestly, that, that's that's all they're really looking for here. When you look at the, the lineups to this team, they get back in. Lockie Plowman, uh, Tom DeConing, again, is a guy that I spoke about. I like him. He just hasn't been able to get the finishing touches uh, yet. And uh, Eddie Betts is, is managed there. But it's interesting. Mark Pitney goes out of this team. So DeConing probably going to spend a fair bit of time in the ruck. But for the Blues... Feels like it's a little too little, too late, but a big win here, and you never know. You never know because they they could you know push in, assuming some wild results results ahead of them. But I think they just needed also to not salvage respect because that's the the wrong thing. But yeah, after some positive moments, it's been a little bit down for them with some yeah. of these yeah, fade outs, and they need to say, well, let's put away this team who actually just went and beat Melbourne and uh, Sydney, like Fremantle, have been one of the more competitive, poorer teams in the AFL. And Carlton needs to show that they can uh, you know, put together a, a strong effort across two halves rather than whatever else they've been putting up over the recent time. So it is an interesting one to watch. I'm more going to be focused on the GWS game. But Carlton needs to get this win to keep their faint hopes a glimmer. They do. And uh, I still think over the last couple of weeks here, last couple of rounds, we're going to be talking about the eight uh, a whole bunch because there's going to be different, uh, all sorts of different results coming through. I'm, I'm certain... You'll be a big Adelaide Crows fan tonight. I'm a massive Adelaide Crows fan. Like, I was a huge Fremantle fan last night and Sydney fan the week before. But I did my letter predictor last night. You know which of those uh, four teams I had falling out of the eight? Uh, I did one, and I had St. Kilda. Yeah, so did I. Yeah, so that's that's interesting because they've, they've got a difficult run home happening here. Um, so that, they're currently sixth they're, you know, at the top of that group of four teams. And uh, I reckon they are in a little bit of trouble here. So that's gonna be they're going to be pretty keen on uh, GWS losing as well. Yeah, the Saints will have a chance uh, against West Coast because West Coast, uh, and we can talk about this game more as the week goes on, but West Coast, a couple more injuries overnight. I'm sure we'll touch on that. But uh, they're a little bit a little bit battered at the moment, the Eagles. I reckon they're gettable. Well, they obviously are because they, they, were, they were got last week. And uh, yeah, St. Kilda needs to win that one because uh, yeah, their, their run home is nowhere near the, the level of uh, Collingwood, GWS, or the Bulldogs. No doubt. Uh, the Saints feeling the pressure, and we know from last night Melbourne obviously won't be able to handle that. But uh, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty of time to talk about it. We will, we'll talk about that during the week. We've got some other stuff uh, on the on the deck for the rest of the week. Kane, look forward to talking to you about it tomorrow. See you tomorrow, mate. Guys, subscribe Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and leave us a five-star review. It is a great way of helping out the show. And today, I am going to leave you with a shout-out to Ben McGlynn. <laughs>